Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Your Next Best Step podcast. I am super, super excited for this episode, and I can't wait for you to listen. There has been so much that has happened this year between COVID, between all of the things that we've been facing with the social injustice that has been happening in our culture, in our country for many, many decades, and what we're doing to make extreme changes to make this world a better place and make our country a better place. There are things going on with the election and all of the negativity that is surrounding it. And there's just so much happening in this world. Businesses have closed. Businesses have had to pivot and change and adapt. And there's just everything this year has just been filled with uncertainty. And I know that there's been a rise in anxiety and depression in this country, particularly with people who own businesses. Because as I said, there's been so much change and so much uncertainty and navigating that uncertainty at times can just feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. But my guest today on the podcast, Seamus Kelleher, will show you that there is a light and he will shine his light on how to get through any situation of crisis and how to move through and respond in a positive way, how to deal with anxiety and depression and to really determine what the signs are when you do need to get help. For so long, for many, many years, there's been a stigma around mental health and depression and anxiety and, you know, being on antidepressants and seeing therapists and It's time that we remove that stigma. I know I've talked many times before on the podcast, my struggles and my battle with anxiety and depression over the past five years and probably longer. I just never really realized I was dealing with it. And I was one of those people that always thought, oh, I can just handle this. I can handle anything until I realized I couldn't handle it. And this, I met Seamus a little while ago at one of my clients. Um, my client who is a, he owns a, um, an Irish pub and Seamus was a musician there. And I did not realize how deeper his story was than just being this incredible, incredible guitarist and incredible musician. So for almost five decades, Seamus Kelleher, a a native of Galway, Ireland, now residing in Doylestown, PA, has performed as a musician in major venues across the U.S. and Europe. Throughout his career, Seamus has battled depression, anxiety, and an addiction to alcohol. And in his Shine the Light presentation, he uses his gift of music and an uncanny ability to engage his audience to tell a compelling story, raising awareness of the staggering number of people suffering from mental illness and addiction. I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. He is just such an inspiration and it's just magnificent to listen to him speak and really hear the story of his program shine the light that really truly is a message of hope compassion and understanding that everyone needs to hear so without further ado i bring you seamus kelleher Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Your Next Best Step podcast. With me, your host, Teresa Cantley, I am joined today by another very, very, very special guest, um, Seamus Kelleher. Did I pronounce that right, Kelleher? Yes. Yes, okay. Um, And I am super, super excited to have him here. I met Seamus um, at one of my clients, um, and Seamus was actually a musician who was playing one night, one of the most phenomenal musicians I've ever seen, Um, and my client uh, has an Irish pub, and that was how I was first introduced to Seamus, and um, my husband and I watched you, and my husband was just like, oh my gosh, he is an amazing guitarist. So I, um, but little did I know, Seamus has another um, absolutely inspirational story and just is an amazing, amazing man. And um, I've gotten to have several conversations with him. And I thought, 
you know, with his story and him sharing his story that he could help um, so many of my listeners, but just even beyond that, um, people that follow me on, on social media that will hear about this podcast and just my whole community. So I'm going to be quiet and just shut up and I am going to let Seamus talk. So Seamus, welcome. Thank you, Teresa, for having me. This is such an honor for me. I appreciate it. Yes, it's, uh, it's an honor for me to have you here. Um, like I said, I, I met you as a musician, but little did I know that you are, I would call you a motivational speaker, a teacher, a guide, a mentor, a thriver, and an inspiration. So let's get into your background and a little bit about your story, um, because it's, I mean, when we first started talking, um, cause we started talking about another project that we're going to be working on. But when I started to hear your story, I mean, it's just unbelievable. The things, the odds that you've beaten and the things that you've gotten through and gotten over and how you are using that to help others and to really pay it forward in this world, um, in a time that we all really need help with this. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Well, uh, I've been playing music since professionally since I was 16. And uh, I started back in Ireland in uh, County Galway, uh, where I'm from. And uh, I was blessed to pick up the guitar, I think at age 14. And within a year, I knew it's what I'd be doing for the rest of my life. It's never changed, not even a bit. And um, I did very well, very quickly. It was my first band was about age 16. And the band called Spoonful was a great rock and roll band. <laughs> then uh, quickly it went up the ranks. And uh, within a year, I was opening up for bands like Thin Lizzy, the very famous Thin Lizzy from uh, Boys Are Back in Town fame. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And uh, became good friends with them. I did several shows with them. And then um, I ended up with a band called Rock and Roll Circus, which is probably one of the best bands I was ever with. It was just phenomenal talent. They were all older than me at the time. I was 20 they would have been 25 or so but um there was a kind of a backstory to all that um there was um i was from a very abusive school situation uh, physically abusive uh there was some there was no sexual abuse at least on my side of it but uh, physically uh, they beat the hell out of us it was a catholic wow. church or run by the archdiocese in, yeah. in ireland at the time and uh, so that had a, I hated violence, so that had a terrible impact on me. And it was daily that you'd get beaten. And, you know, you, see, you just dreaded going into school every day. And that was every wow. day. And then uh, at the time, Ireland was on the verge of a civil war uh, with the sectarian violence between Catholics and Protestants. And also then you had in the British Army in 1970. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it was awful. And, uh, you know, we just... Like the now the violence in the north of Ireland was about 150 miles away from us, but there was really fear of it spreading down to the south. And sure, uh, sure. yeah, it was crazy. And then you had the you know the Cold War threat, and then there was a, a lot of alcohol abuse. Uh, my, both my parents were alcoholics, mm. so it was it was a tough time. And uh, so there was a whole other story kind of going on behind the facade of me being on stage all the time. Uh, you know, everybody dreamed of being a guitar player with a great rock and roll band. I was making a ton of money and uh, playing to you know, a thousand people every night. We were in the newspapers. We had a record out. So, you know, living the dream by most people's standards, you know, because, you know, a lot of kids that age, they didn't worry about the north of Ireland. They didn't worry about anything else, you know, they just, but this was all kind of getting to me. Anyway, my mom passed when I, I was 20, right at the height of the fame of the rock and roll circus band. And uh, she was my best friend. She was just my everything to me. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a trigger for falling into a deep depression. And I went back on the road. But I never got off the road. Uh, even the night of her funeral, I played a concert. And um, but we were on the road, and I had a nervous breakdown. So mm -hmm. um, I spent five weeks in hospital, a psychiatric hospital in Dublin. And thankfully, you know, it was my dad that suggested that I do that. And he he wouldn't commit me. He said, you know, you're going to if you if you want to go, you go yourself. And because uh, there was such a stigma at that stage, uh, back in Ireland in particular, I'm sure everywhere, about spending time in a psychiatric hospital. Mm -hmm. I never forget what I said to him, Teresa. I said, Dad, 
if we don't get the right help from me right now, I won't be here next week. Oh my, that's, wow. So that's, that's kind of the start of it. And it's a great thing that you got help because this world needs you so very much. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not like, you know, um, woe is me. Everybody gets something, you know, I'm, I'm, there's, you know, when I give my talk, people see me and they see me kind of happy and, you know, the life I've lived, you know, I've done several thousand shows. I played Carnegie Hall when I was 24. I played all over the world. And, you know, and to this day, I, I, I was scheduled to have 200 shows this year all over the country um, before COVID interrupted the plan. So, you know, and I've, I've dealt with depression and anxiety all my life. And for the most part, you know, I, I've, I've been able to overcome it. There's times it just raises its ugly head. Like the last time that was really bad was about seven years ago. And I spent time in Horsham Clinic and PA. I spent a week there inpatient and then uh, four weeks outpatient. And, but most of the time I can see the warning signs and I take steps to avoid getting into major problems, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think the big thing and my big message, and we'll probably talk more about this, is just be open to getting help because there is help available uh, to people. You know, of the you know, 16 million people that suffer depression in America each year, it's probably a lot more. They're the people that diagnose. You can rest assured it's much closer to 25 million. Yes, no, Let, I would definitely agree yeah, with you. Yeah, but I, I think the... Um, the staggering statistic is less than half get professional help, mm-hmm. you know, even though they're being diagnosed. Right. And there definitely is. I mean, you, you, um, you mentioned this there, there, I mean, for years there was a stigma surrounding, um, you know, get like, if you do have depression and you do have anxiety and you do go, you know, you, you go to get help. A lot of people wouldn't get help because there was, you know, such a stigma surrounding it. But even if you did go to get help, it's always like you had this label on you, you know, that there was something wrong with you. And I think that's why, and I myself um, struggle with anxiety and it, you're right. It rears its ugly head. And um, in many, many people that I've talked to that have said to me that they put off getting help and they put off, you know, trying to figure out how to deal with it and how to really, you know, um, how to, how to get better with it um, or get better from it. Um, they put off getting help because they were afraid and, and yeah. you just can't be afraid because so often, I mean, I, my brother-in-law committed suicide and so often, like I said, people don't want to get that help and they suffer yeah. in silence. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's it. And uh, there was an article written about me a few years ago and it was called suffering in silence. And uh, that's definitely it, you know, and, the, the, the sad thing about this is um, of the people suffering from depression, 90% of them um, can get a really good result from a therapy of, you know, it, so sometimes it could be just going to a therapist, maybe just talking to somebody, maybe that's all they need, or else going to a psychiatrist and psychiatrists can prescribe meds and also look at kind of what's going on chemically in the brain, what's triggering some of the stuff that's going on. And uh, since we're talking about that, I should always say the medication should only be done in consultation with the psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And um, but so some form of uh, therapy, uh, maybe medication if needed, under the guise of the uh, guide of a, a psychiatrist. And then uh, if you're really bad, like me, uh, seven years ago, or you know, when I was twenty, uh, if you need hospitalization, and sometimes that's what you need. If you're really, really bad off, if you if you just can't put the pieces together, and then you you might become a danger to yourself. Then it's it's absolutely time to uh, go through it. And and there you know the stigma, unfortunately, it's there. But you know, uh, I think once people realize that there is help available. Um, and that you don't have to live like that. That's an easy choice for me. I take the stigma. I don't care if people say, oh, that's Kelleher, you know, Seamus Kelleher. He was, uh, he spent some time in Horsham. I saw him there uh, seven years ago, you know, and uh, but he's looking up at, at this, the Seamus Kelleher that he's looking at is at the top of his game playing guitar to hundreds of people every night, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, I'll take stigma if, as long as I can get the Seamus Keller that's, um, you know, 
playing to those people every night, doing what I love to do and being a, here for my kids and my wife. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and more, well, wasn't more important, but just as important, I have an opportunity because I have a stage every night um, to show people that uh, you can overcome this. And I, I talk very publicly about it, Teresa, because one of my goals is with all this motivational speaking and you know, pretty much everything I do right now, even in my stage performances, is to do exactly what you talk about, take get rid of the stigma. And when people see me, you know, I, I introduce the song. And so I wrote the song about my struggles with depression. You see people nudging themselves, you know, and almost like shuffling and feeling uncomfortable. But if I told you the amount of times that I have people come up to me on a break and say, thank you for doing that. For the first time, I felt a weight off my shoulders by just somebody else. And, you know, I didn't even try to help them at that stage. I'm just singing my song. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but what I did was allow them to be open and open up to me. And, uh, you know, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. And it's like, you know, they always say that people, you know, one of the human desires is people want to know that you hear them. They want to know that what they're saying means something. So without even having that conversation, and that's one of the beauties about music is, you know, it's, it's this language music just, it transcends cultures and, and languages and, you know, and it, and it enables you to speak to them without, like, without having that physical conversation yeah. and allowing them to, it's like what you were saying in the song, had them think, wow, he understands me. He gets me. And that's yeah. the beginning to having that healing. That's start. the beginning of the healing, you know, and as soon as, you know, when I know that I've, really had an impact is when somebody comes up and says, Jean, can I talk to you for a minute? And that's, yeah, that's, that's a big step. And, and I often tell them because they say, you know, it's, uh, it's hard. And I say, yeah, but do you realize you're after taking a big step? I said, I know how hard it is to walk up to a stranger or even somebody that if they do know me, uh, let me give you just one example, how this all works. And, um, uh, if, about two years ago, I was playing down in, um, let's just say Maryland, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a guy there, John, not his name, but he was a tremendous musician, very well known, better known than me. And um, he came up to me at the end of the show, and I was sure he was going to ask me about guitars because that's what everybody asked me about. I'm <laughs> a decent guitar player. That's what everybody asked decent. me. Decent? No, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I was sure waiting for, you know, is it a Fender Stratocaster, is it a Telecaster, all these names that musicians use for guitars. And he said, you know, Seamus, he said, I've been having a hard time lately. He said, and you're very public about your struggles. So I said, and I was just wrapping up the equipment and I had a two hour journey back home. But I said to myself, I said, why don't we just go over there and talk? And two hours later, you know, we finished. And the poor guy had been going through like in the depths of depression, you know. And at the end of the conversation, I said, John, I said, if half of what you're telling me is true, I said, forget going to a doctor or a therapist at this stage. You need to go to see a psychiatrist because I'm really worried about you, the state you're in right now. So there's no kind of in between. You're, you're at a stage. And I said, I am not a doctor. I'm not trained. I have no training. As a, but I said, I am trained in suicide prevention and crisis intervention. And I said, I recognize signs with you right now, not just from my training, but from my own personal experience that you need help. So I said, we, and I I always call it the queen's we. I said, we need to get you help. So by just that we, using the word we, it kind of shares the burden. Now it's, I'm in this fight with him. I'm the only person he had ever talked to uh, about this, not his bandmates, not his uh, girlfriend at the time, and not his children. You know, I was the first person. But I said, I said, John, you're after taking a huge step. So fast forward several months, it was hard to get him to see somebody. It was like, he's such a type A personality. In addition to his music profile, he also was a very successful businessman. But I remember one day, it was one of the best texts I had that week. It was, he said, I'm on my way to the psychiatrist. So I just said, wait. So I didn't, you know, the worst thing he knew was kind of, pester somebody. I knew he was gone, so I had to kind of give him the time. So uh, several days later, he said, uh, the psychiatrist said, 
what I'm going through is, is kind of normal. It, he said, there's nothing crazy wrong with me. I'm suffering from de depression and a little bit ADH. And he said, he put me on a minor dose of medication. He said, but already I feel better. I said, of course you do. I said, you've taken the first step. And I said, buddy, it's only going to get better and better. And then I saw him. I was down in this place every two months. So let's just fast forward about four months. And um, I saw him. Man, he looked so different, you know. Really? The life was back in his face. And I just started smiling when I saw him. He said, you have no idea, buddy, what, what you did for me. And he said, you know, I'm, life has changed. I said, I didn't do anything, to be honest. I said, I was like a traffic cop. I'm not trained to help you. I said, all I did was point you in the direction of, of what you needed. I said, you made the difference yourself. Always remember this. I said, because you, you may not be free of this forever, but you took that first step you called, you came to see me and talked to me. Always remember that moment because that's what's going to save you for the rest of your life. I said, because it won't be a shameless color, it'll be somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I said, but you've already taken, it was a kind of heroic step for you. I know how proud you are. You're a great musician. Everybody knows you. And it, it was hard for you to do that. But you know what the wonderful thing is now? He comes in to see me on a regular basis. That's two years ago. The guy is, is amazing. Yeah. Right? He comes in to see me and he, with his friends. And he'll often be talking with his friends. And he'll, he'll say, Seamus, he said, I'll never forget what you did for me. Now, the important thing there is, you know, it's not the accolades to Seamus. The important thing is he's now talking about it very openly. Mm. And that's, that, that's, to me, that's, that's a great accomplishment. If, if, I, if I accomplish something with him, because like I said, he, he made the difference himself by, getting, by asking me. But the, the bigger thing that I'm trying to do with my career right now, as long as you know, God gives me hopefully many years to do it, is to kind of take it out of the shadows and have that conversation. And, you know, because like it used to be that, you know, if you, wanted to, if you ever wanted to kind of get a little bit of quiet at the dinner table, so anybody feeling depressed lately or stressed, that'll take the air, suck the air, oxygen out of the room. <laughs> Not so much nowadays. Yeah. During COVID, when everybody is like, it's like, um, you know, everybody's feeling some kind of stress between the election and, and uh, COVID and, and some of the, what's been going on in this country. And this is not a politi political statement. It's just um, the reality that uh, people are feeling stressed. People that you, I never thought would ever feel stress. And the good thing is people are starting to talk a little bit more openly about it. You see it on TV all the time. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. And, um, and I was gonna, this is a good kind of segue into, um, you know, a lot of small business owners, a lot of small businesses have been dealing with, you know, the impacts of COVID. I mean, and just, I mean, everybody has, but, um, you know, a lot of small business owners, I know I, that's, you know, who I work with, small business owners, local business owners, I've seen people shut their doors. I've seen people just, I mean, lose. I mean, you, you and I had a conversation. You had 200 shows booked um, in the beginning of the year for the year, and that all went away. Um, and I know that a lot of businesses right now, businesses are really, you know, waiting to see what happens with the election, um, you know, with cases going up. And I mean, we live in Pennsylvania. You know, it's a lot of stress. And you're right. The, they've talked about it on the news, you know, the, um, the rate of depression and anxiety um, in the United States has, it's just skyrocketing. Yeah. Um, and people are starting to talk about it more because you can't really hide it. You can't run from it. You can't, you know, because there's so many things coming at you right now. Um, and between, like I said, between COVID, between, between you know, the um, social injustice we've experienced in this country, um, with, you know, George Floyd and, you know, other things that have happened and just the, the protests and the rioting. And it's a lot of heaviness, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I can deal with this. And right now it's just a lot coming at you. And then at the same time, hearing you need to pivot your business, you need to pivot, pivot, pivot. So let's talk a little bit about kind of with everything that's been happening and dealing with, you know, the events of 2020, as I, I was telling everybody, 2020 is the year of, you know, clarity, the year of 2020 vision. And it, it didn't look like what anybody was, thought it was going to look like. So 
let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you did to pivot um, and what that looked like and how that relates to the conversation that we're having, um, you know, and kind of what you decided to do. Yep. And I kind of incorporate a few of the things that I did for my own mental wellness during this time. Mm -hmm. So we go back to March 14th, right? I had a show somewhere here in Pennsylvania. Um, It might have been at McCarthy's Red Stag Whiskey Pub. It was an amazing night. And then I had like, you know, St. Patrick's for, St. Patrick's Month is for musicians, like you make a portion of your salary, a significant portion of your salary. <laughs> the next day, it all went up in smoke, right? Everything was shut down, not just like a little bit. It was shut down. And they, even then, they made it clear it was going to be months before. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be a lot longer. Uh, so I was devastated. And I knew that, like, um, I had, you know, I, I'm disposed to depression. I'm disposed to anxiety and, and addiction, right? I've been sober six years. And uh, so the last thing I needed was to go back drinking again. Yeah. But these were all kind of triggers, you know, kind of the loss of hope, the sadness I was feeling. But I I was able to kind of draw on some of the things that I tell people to do. And um, during times like this, I say, you know, it's very important to do a mental wellness check on yourself. You know, ask yourself, are you feeling sad? Are you feeling hopeless? Is there self-loathing going on? You know, are you, do you, are you staying in bed all day long? You know, um, are you avoiding doing things that you used to do, like hanging out with people, eating and um, all sports, whatever it might be, music, guitar playing. In my, in my case, if you, if, if you don't hear playing guitar, don't hear me playing guitar once a day, please call a doctor. <laughs> anyway, um, so, but they're the, you know, they're the, the warning signs, right? So how you can kind of get ahead of that a little bit. And it's not like, it's not a Pollyanna, oh, do these five things, you're fine. But the, doing these five things will help at, under any circumstance, especially when things are changing by the moment. Put some routine in your day. Pick a time to get up every day. I do not allow myself to sleep past 9.30. Now, I'm a late, you know, I stay up late at night. So 9.30 is a reasonable time for me. But, uh, you know, it would be easy to try and stay in bed until 11 o'clock just so that I wouldn't have to deal with this, you know, especially back in March, not have to deal with the blackness of the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't just worried about myself, I was worried about my children and my wife mm-hmm. and, and losing everything, right? Yeah. yeah. And lo- I was looking at the house and saying, how long can we keep this? You know? Yeah. And anyway, uh, so anyway, putting routine in your day, uh, controlling the things you can control, like exercising a little bit, Right. Uh, picking a time to share your meals together every day. Once again, the routine. Uh, picking, like I said, the exercise thing. Uh, picking some things that you can accomplish, goals that you can accomplish. Uh, for me, I'm trying to write, a, a, a finish a book that I had started 12 years ago. So I to, yeah, I said I have to do 10 pages every day. So that was, I could accomplish that. I didn't do it every day. Most days I did. And uh, so I, I don't need to go on and on. You get the idea. So there are some kind of fundamental things people can do. Now, in terms of pivoting, which is your, your original question, is um, it's really important to realize that we're in a period of change that's not going to um, stop changing for quite a while. It's going to evolve, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Um, now, I'm not saying it's not hard. If you're, if, if, if you're a pub owner and that's your only kind of business, uh, it's hard. If your pub is shut down, there's not much you can do about it. But you can maybe start preparing for, well, you know, we know they're going to start doing takeout. You know, how can we do that? And how can we be different than the other guy down the street? You know, I'm an Irish pub. Maybe I can do whiskey making classes. Maybe I can do cocktail, you know, Irish foods or so, whatever. I'm just picking that because that's the world I know, right? Yeah. But the same, the same would apply to an Italian restaurant. There's one up the street here that's just done a fabulous job here. You know, from like two weeks after COVID, he was doing takeaway in a way that I'd never seen it done before. It was so cool. Yeah. And so that's kind of the pivot. And, 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 and then it's probably good to give it my, myself as an example. So I lost everything, right? Uh, but I did get a call about the third week in March, fourth week in March from uh, Texas A&M University, College of Medicine. Now, I'd spoken there a few years ago as part of my motivational speaking. 
and they asked me to do a, a motivational talk for their staff and faculty, right? They said the staff and faculty are really struggling. They just need a pick me up. I said, can you do some of your messaging, but we want to hear some of your music as well. I said, absolutely. I said, when do you want me to do it? They said, tomorrow. So I said, holy crap, how, how can I do this? <laughs> Like, you know, something like this can take, especially if it's kind of geared towards a special thing, can take weeks, months to do, yeah. put together. I said, sure, I'll do it. That's part of the pivot, right? I made the decision I'm going to do it. Now, I, had, your gut. now I was like, how? You know, I stayed up late that night and I put a script together. And now I had a lot of it already. It was just, but I had to kind of make it, kind of address the moment. But I gave it everything I got. I worked really, really hard. And, uh, and I rehearsed, rehearsed, I was up in my bedroom walking around pacing, especially re re rehearsing my introduction. As you know, Teresa, that's the introduction is always, it's, that kind of sets the tone for, yeah. for everything. Right? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, because if you kind of go, ba 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 as I do sometimes. <laughs> so I made sure my introduction was good. And anyway, it went very well. And uh, I got a lovely call later on that day saying, you know, you have no idea that really helped a lot of people today. They said, would you consider teaching a class to our um, med students and uh, on mental wellness? Because that was kind of top, the, the uh, topic for the uh, Zoom call. And I said, sure. I said, um, what, what are you looking? He said, it will be a two week class, uh, an hour each day over a two week period. And they said it'd be 10 to 20 students each time. And I said, sure. Um, I said, when do you want me to start that? And they said, could you do it tomorrow? <laughs> now, you know, at this stage, my head is really spinning. But I, I used to be an adjunct professor at New York University in media studies and also at Fordham University. Mm -hmm. kind of an, I think I'm an academic at heart. And uh, so I, I wasn't too daunted by it, but like it was just, I wanted it to be really good. And uh, so I said, I'll give you the first week's syllabus, the second week one you'll get tomorrow. And uh, so I did. And uh, it, I've been doing that now ever since. And um, about, so I think I've done eight classes so far, maybe more. Oh, wow. And then after about two months, they made me part of the adjunct uh, faculty. So what am I? I'm a adjunct assistant professor at Texas A&M College of Medicine. Now, wow. if you told me March 1st, what would, you, what would you like your career to be for the rest of your life? I would say, well, first of all, I want to continue doing my music, but I really miss my teaching. And, and if you would ask me, what were the chances I'd ever get back to teaching? I'd say, yeah, that, that ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. So here I am, not just getting back to teaching, but getting back to teaching at one of the best universities in the country, probably in the world, and a renowned medical school. And they're associated with a lot of other medical schools, and that's opening up opportunities. So anyway, that, that's how it's good. So that's nice to have on my resume now, and it's opening up other doors. But to, to make that happen, I had to learn, like, all this technology, all the Zoom stuff. If you look here, uh, I'm afraid to face my, uh, my computer around, but it's like a staging area for NASA. <laughs> there's, there's lights everywhere. <laughs> I don't get to look this good naturally. No, I get it. I know. <laughs> I know the lighting. I always like have good light, like trying to have good lighting because it gets, it gets rid of the wrinkles. <laughs> yeah, and I tried to put the camera up higher enough so you're not seeing all this. I know, I know. <laughs> but, but, um, anyway, but the idea is I had to do that. I went out, first thing I went on, started Googling microphones and uh, video cameras and all that. So every single day I was doing that in addition to kind of uh, uh, improving my course, right? So um, that was my pivot, right? And, and there's things that terrified me, you know, like uh, the first time, you know, I did a corporate thing for a big comp company, you know, and I was literally, I was terrified. So I had to kind of embrace the fear, you know, there was a great book, uh, something like Face the Fear, Do It Anywhere, I forget that, mm -hmm. that something like that. And it's like, um, but that's what I was doing. I was facing my things, my fears, 
and 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 not just my fears probably it might be the wrong word but things the unknown you know the uncertainty and i'm not the best techie guy in the world i know enough to be dangerous but i embraced it and i reached out to, there was a young kid in ireland i reached out to shane hennessy great great guitar player he's only 25 but i feel like we're you're just soulmates you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and every so i still every two weeks i have an hour-long session with shane where he teaches me technology i the, later on this week we're doing sound recording but he's helped uh all my like master the lighting master the video and now i'm sharing that with others that kind of trying to make their zooms and their calls better you know so, you um you said something that was interesting about you know, this time right now, it's full of change and there's a lot of uncertainty. And a lot of people are, and I think the universe was probably pointing you in a direction that it wanted you to go, which was the teaching and sharing your story. And I think a lot of people, um, particularly this year, I think people had gotten comfortable. They had gotten to a, a certain level in their life or had gotten businesses had gotten to a certain level in their business. And in certain ways, they've gotten comfortable. And all of this uncertainty and all of this change that has happened is actually pointing out where we've all kind of hindered our own growth. And it's whether or not I believe that you choose to see that so that you can lean into that fear and not run from it. Yeah so that you can continue to move forward. And, you know, that is, I think in a lot of ways with your story, you faced a lot of fears. Yeah, and, it, and, and you know, and Teresa, what, one of the things, you know, I don't want to kind of, I use the word Pollyanna a lot because sometimes, because I do get enthusiastic, I tend to be a bit on the manic side, I tend to be up and down, but um, it's not that every day was perfect. There was, there was one day where, and I remember being honest with my students. I said, I'm very low today, you know, and it's kind of that idea is it's okay to be okay. And uh, what I tell people, and this is gets back to where I think it's good advice. You know, it's okay to be not okay one day, mm-hmm. two days, three or four days in a row. You need to see somebody. It's time to get help. And because um, we are dealing with a lot of change and it's, it's stretching us on every level. And we question all the things that we thought were uh, permanent are not not so much anymore. But that doesn't, you know, kind of what you're alluding to the fact it doesn't, it can provide opportunity for growth. And even though, like, you might be losing your house, you might be losing, you know, uh, a lot of things, your job or whatever. Um, and it, it doesn't seem that way. And it's not like you're just painting it with this bright brush. Oh, this is great. I just lost my job. I'll do something else. It's not that easy. You no. still have to pay your bills, right? But, um, you know, if, if, if you kind of say, I am going to get through this, I'm going to get through it. And um, l- let me just bring up something. You and I discussed it a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like the idea. So I think we should share it with your wonderful audience. And this is... It's kind of the idea of mindfulness, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I never really understood mindfulness. Now, I, used, I even, and this is even going back as recently as March. I, 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 when I was in the hospital, they were talking about it all the time. So I knew it was important to discuss. So I used to bring it in as part of my teaching. But to be honest, I didn't fully understand it until my neighbor, um, Kira Crayman, she's a wellness coach, she um, sent me, she copied me on some email and uh, she was talking about mindfulness. And it was so lucid and so well explained. And I said, Kara, Kara, I need you. <laughs> so, will you talk to my students? I said, I just talked about mindfulness yesterday. I said, I said, you know, I said, I have the right idea, but I wasn't able to put it on the context that you can. And she did. And it was wonderful. So let me just give you the the core of what she said with mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is a way of, you know, when stuff happens, when stuff comes at us, mindfulness is just a way of kind of saying, okay, this is happening, you know, and um, you allow yourself to kind of react and to be maybe, let's say, for instance, COVID, that's uh, whatever, Saturday or Sunday when the bottom fell out of my world. I was really, really angry. You know, I had... I had a tour booked this summer 
50 people going to Ireland, it was like going to be one quarter, 25% of my salary for the year. Wow. Gone. Poof. Gone. I had to cancel it back in uh, the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, on and on and on. So my reaction was, I'm really mad, you know. There'd be a lot more profanity involved if I really let myself go. But this is a family program, so we won't do that. <laughs> and and uh, there was, I was sure angry. Put your earbuds in. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was angry that I couldn't play music. I was angry that this was happening to my children, that they weren't able, I had to go down and get both of them college age kids out of college and bring them home. And I was just so afraid for them, right? I was angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, then, but that was okay. That was the anger. And that was my reaction. And this is what Kira talks. It's, it's, you know, it's okay to have that reaction when something happens. So my reaction was mad, angry, angry at myself in some ways that I hadn't chosen another profession. Um, and go through all those emotions. Mm-hmm. But then she said, what's really important is how you respond. In other words, the, the reaction is kind of the visceral thing that you have. It's like when somebody cuts you off on the highway, you know, and, um, you, you know, they cut you off. And the first thing you want to do is kind of maybe flip them the bird or something like that, <laughs> you know, because that's, that's your kind of reaction. But then that there is, the response should be, you know, that person is yelling at me. They don't even know me. In what world are they living in? What kind of stress are them? And then you will respond. You kind of reframe what just happened. And rather than react by giving them the bird or something, or worse, chasing them like I used to when I was a kid, yeah. um, I'd, I, I, I'd respond by just kind of uh, going on and, not, and just feeling an empathy and hoping that that person is okay. And that's the same with then the reaction to losing my work was, you know, really that anger. But then the response was, um, okay, so how can I start, even before the opportunity came with Texas A&M, I started the book and I started working, writing songs again. I did um, concerts from my porch. So I found that was the immediate thing. That was my, and that was a good response. And I think that's very important and, you know, um, I'll share that link with you. And maybe if you want to share it with your uh, people watching the podcast, you can at some point. And it's a uh, cure just does a wonderful job. So the mindfulness is like just giving you some space to process this, not being angry. Don't be judging yourself about what's going on. It's natural to feel the way you're feeling mm-hmm. but, but, and, and the way you're reacting. But the way you're responding is kind of different, you know. And it comes from an old Buddhist idea to talk about the first arrow and the second arrow. And the idea is, you know, the first arrow comes at you. You have no control over that. It's just coming at you, boom, mm-hmm. hits you, and you're kind of, ah, man. But then the second arrow, you know, is you have an opportunity to respond differently to that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, it's a wonderful kind of idea. And, and I love it. And the reason I, I, I put so much stress in it is it's worked for me. There's so many times, uh, so many times I just want to, you know, break out and get mad or something like that. And I'll just reframe it and say, you know, um, let me, how can, how can I respond to this? How can I do, to turn this around into some kind of reframe it, you know, in a different paradigm is a nice word for it. But kind of another word is kind of reframe it. Think of it as a picture frame. This is what 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 happened. Now, how can I reframe this? Because the, the reality is, uh, you know, the stress. And this Kira talks about this. You know, the stress that we're feeling. It's not the situation. Uh, you know, it's just how we're reacting to the situation, or responding to the situation. In some cases, is what's causing the stress. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, we have a lot, we, we can really control that much more than we give ourselves credit for. It's kind of like, um, like I always tell um, the people that I work with that if you, you can't take your circum, you can't help your circumstances. You, we can't help that COVID happen. We can't help that all that, you know, we can feel a certain way about it, but then the next decision that you make, if you continue to base it on 
circumstantial thinking, you're never going to get yourself out of being stuck. So you have to base it on, okay, what is going to move us closer to where we want to go and choose how you respond based on that. Because a lot of times, you know, just in business, people think they base their where they want to go and what they want to do on their current circumstance, which is like reacting to what's happening right now. And you can be mad about it. You can be upset about it. You can be frustrated with it. But then your next step is the response, the respond. Like, how are you going, how are you going to respond to it? And, you know, you want to respond based on, you know, where you want to go or the difference that you can make or the opportunity, like how you can move yourself forward. So it's the same kind of, it's bringing that mindfulness in to how you're handling situations, you know, in your business. Yeah, and it's, I think it's, you're exactly right. And the other thing, it's okay to mourn the loss of something. Absolutely. You know, if your restaurant closed, if your business closed, or if it's changed, if you're not going into the office, and let's say you're one of these people that love going into the office, there are a few people that do like. Yeah, uh, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but there are people that need that social interaction. So it's okay to mourn the loss of that because the reality is for some of these people that they're not going to see uh, those people at such an intimate level moving forward. So it's okay to kind of mourn the loss of something we should. It's, it's, it's very important to, in order to move forward, I think, to process that loss of whatever it is. And, uh, but as you're doing that, it's also important to start reframing circumstances. Okay, I can't go into the office anymore. How can I do this? And then, so I know I'm going to be working from home, not just during COVID, but moving forward. How can I extend my social circle so that I am seeing people? Maybe it's a bridge or maybe it's card games or maybe it's, you know, music, whatever it's going to be. So you have to kind of, you have to reframe things because it's not just, it won't happen on its own. And uh, so kind of mourn the loss, you know, be mad, be angry. That's kind of the reaction type of thing. And, um, but the response really should be kind of building and okay, I have to make the best. And you know, you often hear people say, I'll make the best of a bad situation. Well, you know, that, I think that has a bit of a negative connotation. It doesn't have to be a bad situation, but you know, make the best of the situation that we're living in because we, we, we don't really control it. But what we can control is what lays ahead. But it does take a bit of work and you know, the, there's a lot of anxiety associated with change and it's okay to do that. And that's why it's really important. Like these kind of podcasts are wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I have, I have different groups that I deal with. Um, I'm just starting a new organization called the Suicide Prevention Alliance where, you know, we're, we're helping people with uh, dealing with suicide. And it's, um, there's eight people on the board. And yesterday we had our first in-person meeting, you know, and it was lovely I needed that. I need. We were out in Harrisburg, and just to be among people, you know, we're all socially distanced, but you know, we're all on the same page, and we're just kind of uh, propping each other up. So I think, you know, don't try and do it on your own. Reach out to people. Pick up the phone, and uh, you know, and not just on Facebook and social media. You know, social media is fine. It has the place, but there's nothing like picking up the phone. You, know, you can go grab yourself, grab a cup of coffee with somebody, walk, take a walk, you know, and, uh, but it's important. To absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been an amazing, amazing discussion. But like I said, I have two more questions for you. Okay. That we didn't talk about before right. <laughs> that I ask all of my, um, my guests that join me on the podcast, but I just want to say thank you so very much. Um, this you have shared so many, uh, so many amazing nuggets um, to help people to get through, you know, these times and even any time of crisis. Um, you know, one of the things that you brought up is, you know, whatever you're feeling, feel it. You know, and don't. A lot of people try and push that down, but I think. You know, one of the, and Brene Brown talks about this in her books, like being courageous means being vulnerable and being able to say and recognize those feelings and being able to admit it, you know, and say, I, I'm not feeling so good today, or I'm feeling great today, or, but when it goes past a certain amount of time, yeah, then it's, an, it's important to get help. So, um, she, she is amazing, by the way. Brene Brown, I love yeah, her. Oh I'm my absolutely. gosh, love her. 
Uh, I've read every single one of her books. <laughs> She's awesome. Um, all right. So question number one, what was one of the most pivotal moments in your life um, that really helped you to move forward and to figure out what it was that you wanted to do or what your purpose is here? Yeah, I, th I think that's kind of kind of an easy one. Um, kind so, of? So, yeah, because it's coming up to the sixth anniversary of my sobriety. And um, I, it, it was Halloween. We had a party here at the house in Doylestown. My kids were too uh, old for trick-or-treating, so we had a party uh, where we had all these fun games for them out the back. We have a big backyard. And... Um, I had, you know, I was drinking at the time, so I had a few whiskeys during the daytime before my wife got home from work, knowing that the few glasses of wine we'd have in the evening wouldn't be enough to keep me going. And I also managed to sneak next door and have a drink with my friends uh, or two. And um, so I was kind of, I wasn't drunk, drunk or anything like that, but I definitely wasn't 100% sober. And Mary Pat, my wife said, at, at about 10 o'clock before the parents came to pick up the kids, she said, um, uh, you know, maybe you should go up to bed. It's probably best that the parents of the kids don't see you with a few drinks. You know, just, just, yeah. It wasn't in any way nasty because I, yeah, I, I would have been way more drunk than that at other times. And uh, so I said, sure. Went up to bed, fell asleep, woke up next morning. And I said to myself, what am I doing? I said, you know, I'm, you know, I, as a kid, I worried about coming home from school. I wasn't going to get my sober mom or, you know, my not so sober mom. Would I have to find her next door? Mm -hmm. Getting a drink with the neighbor, you know, getting in my dad's car, knowing that he had too much to drink. Mm -hmm. you know, and now I was doing the same thing. I was driving with my kids in the car. When, if somebody said, what would you, the one thing you'd change in your life? I'd say it was that getting, driving when I was drunk. Yeah. And I, to the best of my knowledge, I never, you know, got pulled over or hurt anybody, but I could have. Mm -hmm. you know? Is that when, um, so that was when you got sober, but um, that's when you also got some more help, right? Yeah, all of the above. I, 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 so that morning I picked up, um, I picked up the phone uh, to a friend of mine who'd been sober for 12 years. And said, Mike, I said, I, I'm, I'm hurting, man. I said, I'm drinking. The drink is ruining my life. It's killing me mm -hmm. uh, slowly. And he said, well, I'll come over two hours later. And, you know, that, that really was the beginning of my journey. And, um, you know, we, we, we met every, I'd say every few weeks for a year. And... Um, then, you know, gradually as I got stronger, then I started thinking about, okay, maybe, maybe there's a way to translate this into something else. And um, I decided not to go back to the corporate world because that was, had been causing me an awful lot of stress. And um, I, I, I decided that maybe I'd go back to the music full time and um, dedicate the rest of my life to trying to uh, help people with, you know, they're going through the similar struggles, but that was the, you know, that was, that was it really. If you, you know, that was a pivotal moment because I remember it so clearly. I just like, I'm just thinking now, I, I know exactly what I was doing. It was by my nightstand. I was just sitting there and I said, I, I, I said, I'm, I'm sentencing, sentencing my kids to the same thing that I went through. I said, why would I ever want to go through that again? You know? Yeah. You know, they say, Oprah always says that life whispers to us constantly. It's whether or not we want to listen and some yeah. people don't listen. And then it gets, the whispers get louder until they smack you upside yeah. the head. But yeah. that's uh, wow. That is, that's a pivotal moment. Yeah, it was. Um, and it brought you to this point where, you know, now you, uh, you play, like I said, you're an amazing musician um, and you're able to help others, you know, through sharing your own story. Yeah. All right. Last question. What are you most grateful for? All the second chances I've been given, you know. Uh, 12 years ago, I fell down two flights of stairs in, um, in, in Valley Forge after a show. I've been drinking way too much. 
I fractured my skull, bleeding on the brain. And um, I was medevaced to the uh, University University of Pennsylvania Trauma Center. And uh, I was in ICU for three three days. They didn't know if I was going to make it, but this thick Irish skull did. Um, Go back to when my dad... Uh, suggested I, I go to St. Patrick's Psychiatric Hospital. Um, so I kind of, the theme is I'm very thankful for the help I got when I needed it. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful mm-hmm. for that. Um, obviously, you know, my wife, my kids, that's, you know, that's the, the, the greatest gift of all. But I think it's, it's, it's that, because even before then, I'm grateful for the, uh, you know, j- j- just being able to get the help and, and kind of being that for whatever reason, I was open to getting the help, you know, and that's why I try to convince people is just open up your heart and mind. We all need something. And so I'm very grateful that I got the help. I got it, you know, be wrong to say that I just got it six years ago. I got it many times. And um, so, you know, there's, there's a reason why, you know, I sh- I sh- statistically, I should have died many times over, you know. So there, there must be some reason I'm still here. And um, so I, I'm grateful for the help I got during those dark periods and, and, and for all the joy that I have right now. As soon as I finish this, I'll probably go downstairs and play guitar for an hour, you know, just doing what I love. Awesome. You know? And... Um, you know, and just in, my son is home today. My, the rest of them are all out at school or work. And, you know, two of us will sit down and chat. And, you know, just all those little things that maybe I took for granted years ago. I'm grateful for all that. So, I mean, I could go on and on and on all about what I'm grateful for. But I'm basically grateful for all the second chances I've gotten. And my goal is to um, be true to, you know, I'm not the most religious person in the world, but be true to the maker and maybe help some other people. If it's only one person, that's okay. But I hope it's a lot more people. Kind of, you know, my, my whole uh, presentation is called Shine the Light. And that's it. And it's, it's not this kind of fancy thing. It's, it's all it is just kind of shining the light in the darkness for people that can't see the light, you know, and shine the light, shine the light on people who are struggling from depression, anxiety, and other forms of mental illness and addiction. Yeah. Uh, shine the light forward so that we can just move forward and, uh, you know, enjoy our time that we're given on this earth. That's it. Well, you are quite a light in the lives of many, many people. And you definitely have some guardian angels watching over you. So, but um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for sharing your story and for um, joining me on this podcast. Um, You, like I said, I just think you're amazing. And um, now that I've gotten to know you more, um, I'm just so honored um, to have you join me here, but I'm also um, just so grateful to have connected with you. Um, Thank you. And if anybody, you know, needs to, re- you can, uh, when you send out the podcast, whenever you're doing, if anybody needs to reach me, they can, you can give out my email. I'm easy enough to find Seamus Gallagher will pop up anywhere at my, all my contact information is there. If anybody needs to give me a call or text me or whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll always be able to pick up the phone and, uh, you know, sometimes it's just having a quick conversation and, maybe refer to somebody or something like that. But, you know, like what I tell people, start the conversation. Don't be shy about starting a conversation. I said, because it it can be life changing. Change my life. I'm still here. Absolutely. And we're so like the world is so blessed because you're here. (laughs) Um, That was going to be my next thing is to tell people how they could find you. So um, definitely we can share that in the show notes um, for anybody who is, um, listening to this podcast uh, on iTunes or Google Play um, or even going to my website, um, you will be able to download um, the transcript of this and we will, al- we will also have the links that Seamus um, referred yeah. to. Yeah, you can get email, on my web- email on my website is always the best way. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm always willing, I'll always, the one thing I can absolutely promise as long as I have my health, 
I'll uh, be willing to take a call from somebody. And like I said, if it's just some, have a conversation and get, you know, point them in the direction. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. Uh, but I can help. I can point you in the direction of somebody that can help you. Yeah. As I said, you have a PhD in life. So <laughs> that's, that's all you need. So, yeah. Yeah. all right. Well, thank you so much, Seamus, for joining us. And um, I really, really appreciate it. Same here. You made my day. I had a, I really enjoyed this.